So we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer this morning from Matthew 6, verses 9 to 15. So to start, I'm going to just read out those verses in the NIV. Matthew 6, verses 9 to 15. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So last week, as we continued in the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about the approach to prayer and the, and the way to prayer, and the, the attitude and the, the genuineness of, of prayer, about it being for an audience of one, uh, not being something uh, as a show or to big up ourselves, but just directed towards our Heavenly Father. And... Jesus then gave this prayer as a kind of template. He'd already done lots of teaching, um, the Beatitudes and lots of other teaching, and then said, when you pray, go somewhere quiet, pray to your Heavenly Father, and then this is how you pray. These are the things that should be in your prayer. And from then, uh, you you you'll know how to pray, you'll know the things to pray for. And if you want to be part of my kingdom, these, these are the kingdom things to pray for. And we can short, find a shorter version of this prayer in Luke chapter 11. And I started praying this prayer more often last spring, summer, when Rich said to our small group, how, how often do you pray the Lord's Prayer? And I think a few of us admitted that we didn't pray it every day. It was more of an occasional thing. And then it was, well, why don't you pray it more often? And it was partly because it was a, we felt a, a template prayer that we prayed our own variations on it. And we prayed for all the things in the Lord's Prayer, but not in that form. So I started praying it more often and then branching off uh, you know, adding to it as I was praying, as I was out walking, just praying the Lord's Prayer more sort of expansively. And if we unpack the Lord's Prayer, I just had this vision of my in my mind, you know, if your, your suitcase suddenly comes undone at the airport and it spreads over about three square metres, some scripture is like that you start unpacking it and it's like bursts open there's a lot more in it i think the lord's prayer is like one of those inflatable rafts so you pull the ripcord and it is massive it gets much much bigger and i think we could spend six weeks on the lord's prayer alone don't worry i'll, I'll be done by about 12 don't panic because there's so much in it so what I've got a, another ton of scripture this morning. It was wonderful hearing so much scripture from Chris this morning as we worshipped. 
um, but I've got another ton of scripture here. But even what I've got here in my notes is just scratching the surface. So please bear with me. But I, I just hope it might touch on something, just stir something up, just, just, you know, do something in us all this morning as we slowly go through the Lord's Prayer and what every line means. So the first verse is verse nine and there's of course a couple of extra bits to it as well but verse nine says our father in heaven and god is our heavenly father when we pray our father i sometimes pray my father but we remember we're part of a family we're part of the the church the body of christ and he's our father we're we're part of something much bigger than ourselves and our reference point for the word father might be good bad indifferent you could have had an absent father or one who was absolutely fantastic but god doesn't compare with our earthly father and i just encourage anyone with a bad experience to try and put that aside uh, maybe call him lord or something that's going to try and separate god from your experience of an earthly father and also that the, the words in heaven uh, reminds us of where our heavenly father inhabits um, and the very fact that Jesus was prepared to leave heaven to come to earth to, to live amongst ordinary, annoying, sometimes horrible people. Um, I've tried to imagine, as I've been praying this prayer, what heaven must be like. And there's, there are so many visions in the world whether you're you've gone out you know traveled the world and you've seen some absolutely breathtaking places or whether you're just watching tv or flicking through a magazine or there's certain things that you really admire there, there are places where you think this is the most incredible place on earth or that looks like the most wonderful house or mansion or you know you imagine a desert island or something there are so many variations on what our, our ideal place would be like and and i think heaven outstrips any of that and that's where god inhabits and that is what jesus left in that sort of first act of obedience and sacrifice that's what he left to come to earth and we know earth ain't that great at times and he went into a situation which which wasn't ideal for him as we already know so our father in heaven and we get pictures uh, or hints of of heaven in revelation four and five the throne and what looked like a sea of glass music angels worship i i still can't imagine even though i keep every time i pray this prayer i keep trying to imagine what heaven's like but i'm i'm probably not getting even a, even a, a hint of it myself 
verse 9 continues, hallowed be your name. And God has many titles throughout scripture that sort of express different aspects, different facets of what he's like. El Shaddai, Lord Almighty. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Elohim may mean supreme or mighty, uh, mighty one. And there are many other examples. One or two have been mentioned this morning. The Lord's name is just all encompassing, all powerful. It's holy. It's set apart. Philippians 2 reminds us uh, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That is the, the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. You've probably heard the phrase, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And this is certainly true of Jesus. Jesus opens doors, changes situations, uh, you know, just, just such a powerful name. When I was much, much younger, um, in, in a different century, and, uh, and I, I went out with my mates, occasionally we'd get our, our names on somebody's guest list to get into some club or another. And it always made you feel quite important because you could say, oh, my name's on so-and-so's list, you know. Um, and that at that time, when I was young and impressionable, that was, that was great. But Jesus is a different thing altogether. Jesus is, a, is another level, uh, really... <sighs> awesome and powerful name that that can that can just transform and and change healing happens then forgiveness salvation and you've only got to look through the book of acts to read about the power of jesus name and and about the disciples and other followers going out and healing in jesus name Acts 2.21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's a quote from Joel, and it's in Romans 10 as well. Acts 3.16, where Peter heals a crippled beggar. He says it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Acts 10.43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And let's not forget Exodus 20 verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. How often do we hear the name of the Lord taken in vain, used as a swear word? You know, it just makes me cringe every time I hear it and occasionally I'll, I'll pull somebody up on it, but it's, it's just so common. And it's such a shame because this is not a name to be misused. Verse 10 begins, your kingdom come. And when I first reflected on this verse, I thought 
for God's kingdom to come, what would need to be removed, destroyed or moved out of the way in order for God's kingdom to truly come? And at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Back in 2019, we spent three weeks with Julian looking at the kingdom. And that, as we all know, is, is a massive subject all on its own. In Luke 13, Jesus talks about entering the kingdom. In Luke 17, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within or among you. And in Matthew 11 verse 12, Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. God's kingdom, as we pray for God's kingdom to come, we can still do our part in represented, re representing his kingdom. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And so uh, while we might not always see God's kingdom, we can, we can express it, we can bring it, we can introduce it, we can say, oh, this is what it's like to be a citizen of the kingdom. And we can do things to advance God's kingdom here on earth. Verse 10 continues, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Surely if God's will was done on earth, we would live in a perfect world. It would be pleasant. People would be kind to each other. There would be enough for everyone. There would be justice. It would be totally and utterly, unimaginably, unimaginably different and I guess it, it kind of links in with you um, uh, you know heaven heaven and earth being like each other how much are we obeying God's will Jesus warned those who are listening to this to his teaching in Matthew 7 not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So although we pray for God's will to be done on earth by his sovereign power, his hand, his movements, each of us is responsible for playing our part in doing God's will in our own lives, in our own arenas, in our own circles of influence. Jesus was the ultimate example of this. Just before his arrest in Matthew 26, he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, 
may your will be done which is an incredible prayer to pray jesus was fully human fully man and he knew what was going to happen but he put aside his own will and he said to god okay your will be done then in romans 12 2 a good verse to pray over ourselves is this do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will and i sometimes pray that for myself when i've got stuff going through my mind that is cluttering it up distracting me dragging me down doing things it shouldn't do i i pray that over myself i i pray god would transform my mind and that i wouldn't be thinking all that stuff that i would be more attuned to god's will and what he wants me to think about and focus on Verse 11 requests, give us today our daily bread. And here I, I'd pray further, um, help me not to be greedy or gluttonous. Lord, help me to be a good steward of everything I have. Help me to share with others what I have. And this verse is echoed in Proverbs 30 verses 8 to 9. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. Verse 12 is asking for God's forgiveness. And it links in with verses 14 and 15, which puts a condition in place. And we can find a, a similar theme to this in Deuteronomy chapters 28 and 30. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of laws, as you probably already know. But as Moses comes to hand over uh, leadership, he also sort of, uh, goes over some of those things and says you know these are the this is what will happen if you're obedient to God and this is what happened if you happens if you're not obedient so this 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 is a, is a similar thing here it's the one part of the prayer that that says that we have to do something as well Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When we pray verse 12, we know what it says. But verses 14 and 15 really drive it home. And if like you, uh, like me, you were brought up praying this prayer at school, at church, uh, you sort of pray. You, I, I ended up praying it just parrot fashion and 
ended up not really until I was sort of much later, not really registering the words. It was just saying it and just praying the prayer and you prayed it millions of times and and that's the prayer but when you think about what these words say about forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors when you think about the implication of that and the implication of verses 14 and 15 it's absolutely massive it's explosive and you may not have had to forgive anyone anything really big or you might have had to or you might have needed somebody to forgive you part of my prayer in this is lord please help me not to to force anyone to need to forgive me help me not to anger and upset and offend others so that they have to forgive me but forgiveness is a, a key part of Jesus, well, the key part of Jesus' mission and message on earth. He came to bring the gospel of God's grace and to pay for everything we've done wrong. Sometimes we can struggle to forgive things that are done against us, to us, at us, whatever. But I've also struggled with forgiving where somebody's hurt one of my loved ones. Sometimes it's much harder to forgive when we see somebody we love suffering. Um, and as I say, there's different levels of forgiveness that we have to, we're called to extend depending on what our experience of life is. And when we're offered Jesus' forgiveness, we should really appreciate it. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not a, oh, okay, that's, that's it. That's, that's all right now. Um, it's, it's a massive thing. On the other end of the scale, you might, be, you might find it hard to forgive yourself. You might find it hard to accept Jesus' forgiveness because you still, you still haven't let yourself off the hook. You can say, oh, yeah, it's great. Jesus has forgiven me. He's paid the price. But it hasn't really sunk in because you're still grappling with that. I'd encourage you to pray about that. But there's... There's, there's still this thing to wrestle with that, that we, we're asked to forgive others as God has forgiven us. And I've got an account here I'm going to read. Um, it was originally posted on a website called More Enigma Than Dogma. And it's a story of massive forgiveness. After apartheid ended in South Africa, a white police officer named Mr. Van der Burke was put on trial. The court found that he had come to a woman's home, shot her son at point blank range, and then burned the young man's body on a fire while he and his officers parted nearby. The woman's husband was killed by the same men and his body was also burned. 
I can't fathom the source or the energy needed to fuel such cruelty. But more unfathomable is the surviving woman's response. The mother of the son and wife to the husband murdered and burned. What must she have thought and felt as she sat in court, being burdened and re-traumatised by the evidence? A member of the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission turned to her and asked, so what do you want? How should justice be done for this man? What would this wife and mother say in the face of such murderous cruelty that further caused indignity to her husband's and son's remains? I want three things, the woman said confidently. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. My husband and son were my only family. I want secondly for Mr van der Berk to become my son. I would like for him to come out twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have. And finally, I would like Mr. Van der Berg to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. This was also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask someone to come and take my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Van der Berg in my arms embrace him and let him know that he is truly forgiven. Matthew's account of the prayer finishes in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This reminds me of James 1 verse 13 to 14. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. God gave us free will, and he does show us an escape route when we're tempted. And I pray here, Lord, point my feet and my face and, and me away from evil, away from temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Temptation is not sin. And if we can stop and think for a moment, then we can uh, uh, stop ourselves being dragged away and enticed. Or perhaps better still, knowing our weakness, we can plan our escape route, plan our way out 
before we're tempted or even avoid situations, people, uh, places where we know that our weaknesses will be tested. A footnote in my Bible adds a line we're probably all familiar with for this prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A declaration of praise, worship and eternity. There's an awful lot in this prayer. So just to finish, I'm just going to read the prayer just very slowly, just pausing between each line, just so that we can all reflect on, on this prayer as we, as we look at it again and listen to it and pray it. And, and then I'll hand back. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, I pray that as we think about those words, as we think about the way in which you taught us to pray, uh, we would just draw closer to you and just just show ourselves to be citizens of your kingdom, that we would seek to advance your kingdom wherever we are, whatever we're doing, and that these words would, would just speak to us afresh, stir us afresh as we pray daily to you. In Jesus' name, amen.